Victory Alabang Podcast. We hope this message encourages and inspires you today. Well, hello, Victory family. Hope you're all doing well as you join our worship service today. Uh, how are you guys doing? You know, it's been 150 days, I think, uh, that we are under quarantine and uh, we're still uh, doing our services from our own homes. You're all, um, you know, attending your service online. And you know what? We're all, we're all praying, looking forward to the day that we're all going to be gathered together uh, as a people. Maybe some of you are already, you know, egging to go back to normal lives. But, you know, let's just, you know, remain hopeful because I believe that God is the one doing, you know, things even behind, uh, you know, our circumstances. We may see things in the natural as if it's not happening. And uh, maybe in the area of your health, family, uh, your, your business, your work. But that I know for sure that God is working on our behalf. Let's just put our faith in Him. He holds our future. Well, today we are on week number 12 of our series, The Gospel Explained. Now, this series is actually a study on the book of Romans. Uh, this letter was probably written by the Apostle Paul in Corinth around 55 AD. And this letter which many scholars consider as the Apostle Paul's masterpiece or magnum opus, is considered the most influential book in Christian history, uh, just for your information. And today we are looking at Romans chapter 8. We're halfway inside the book. Now, Romans 8 marks a major transition in the book of Romans. Romans 8 is referred to as the most important and the most exciting chapter in all of the Bible. Would you believe that? Now, Skip Heisig said this, If the whole Bible is viewed as a gold ring, then the book of Romans is the three-carat diamond on that gold band, and Romans chapter 8 is the sparkling point of the diamond. Now, this is considered as the most beautiful part of the Bible because of everything that it says about the believer, that's you and me. And the chapter, Romans 8, begins with no condemnation, and it ends with no separation, nothing can separate us from the love of God. The first seven chapters of Romans paints a picture of darkness that's centered on sin and human depravity and the consequences of sin and even the wrath of God in chapter 1. Now, the focus of Romans 7 is self, me, I, myself. We see a lot of personal pronouns in this chapter signifying a struggle to try to win God's approval by striving in the flesh. Romans 7 focuses on the battle of self with sin and the law. It is highlighting the struggle of the flesh to overcome sin but to no avail. Remember the tug of war inside us as described by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 verse 15? I do not understand what I do but what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do. I agree that the law is good. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. The struggle is real. What Paul is trying to say is that he keeps on struggling to be good, but the sin in him breaks the law. So as chapter 7 ends in verse 24, Paul declared, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We become exhausted from trying with our own strength and power to accomplish God's will for our lives. 
Now, Romans chapter 8 talks about the results of our union with Christ. What happens now that we are in Christ. And the focus of chapter 8 is the person of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit was mentioned about 19 times in this chapter. It is no longer about me or us struggling with sin, but the Holy Spirit empowering us to live a victorious life. And the essential contrast which Paul paints is between the weakness of the law and the power of the Holy Spirit. John Stott said this about Romans 8. Romans 8 is without doubt one of the best-known, best-loved chapters of the Bible. If in Romans 7, Paul has been preoccupied with the place of the law, in Romans 8, his preoccupation is with the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the entire chapter 8 of Romans is a description of the new life that we have in Christ. That it is not just attainable, but it is also powerful with the aid of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you have your Bibles, why don't we go ahead and open to Romans chapter 8. And we'll be reading 17 verses, and I will be reading from the NIV version uh, today. Beginning from verse 1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. In verse 5, those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And those controlled by the sinful nature, cannot please God. You, however, look at the person beside you, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is, is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if, the, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, now, if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. 
This is the word of the Lord. Let's just pray and commit this time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the work of Jesus on the cross. He broke the power of sin over our lives. Thank you for the gift of the new life that we have in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that fuels that life. We commit to you the study of God's word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we look back in the first verse of chapter 8, we will notice a transitional verse or word, uh, therefore. You know, when we see this word, therefore, we need to know what it is, therefore. It is like a bridge that bridges from, you know, one thought to another. You know, this actually is a bridge of, you know, chapter 7. Now Paul is talking about chapter 8. Paul was essentially saying man could not save himself by his human effort. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when you talk about the word condemnation, it's a very strong word. It is not just a feeling of, I did something wrong, so I feel condemned, you know. Uh, but it is a judgment of God against sin or the wrath of God against sin. That is what condemnation is all about, going to hell. Now, if you recall, we talked about that in Romans chapter 1, verse 8, where the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness. This is the righteous and yet loving act of God against evil. But in Romans chapter 8 says, there is now no condemnation in Christ. Alistair Begg, you know, uh, an author of Jesus, the author of Jesus Keep Me Near the Cross, he said this, here's the gospel in a phrase, because Christ died for us, those who trust in him, may know that their guilt has been pardoned once and for all. What will we have to say before the bar of God's judgment? Only one thing. Christ died in my place. That's the gospel. Think about that for a moment. He took my place. He took your place. He took our sins, the punishment that we deserve, and He gave us life and righteousness instead. In other words, He gave me His perfect record. It is as if he took my board exam for accountancy and gave me a perfect score. Reminds me of, you know, this TV series, which Mike Ross, who got paid for taking exams for other students. Now, that's not valid. That's cheating. There's only one valid place where this can happen. It's only found at the cross of Christ. Now, my question is, what happens when I fall as a Christian or as a believer? Now, do we fall sometimes? Well, yes. The devil will lie to you and condemn you and he will speak to your mind. You know, you're a hypocrite. You know, you never change. How dare you worship God when you just sinned yesterday? You know, you're still the same. You're just, uh, you know, just putting up a facade. Let me tell you this. If you are in Christ, then you are safe and secure. We're no longer slaves of sin. We are now children of God. Because of Jesus, we have been set free. And we see that in verse 2. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now here you see two laws at war with each other. When Paul uses the word law here, he was not referring to the law of Moses, you know, when God gave him the Ten Commandments in the Mount Sinai. He was referring to the controlling power of the Holy Spirit who is life-giving versus the law of sin and death, the controlling power of the flesh which brings death. Now, to illustrate this further, as I was watching YouTube during the quarantine, I saw a video of hundreds of planes parked in different airports throughout the world. 
that are closed due to the pandemic. You know, one of the industries greatly affected was aviation and the tourism industry. People are not flying as much to be safe from COVID-19. Planes are made to fly. You know, it is odd to see hundreds of planes parked side by side each other, like cars parked in a parking lot. You know, planes are built so that people can go from one place to another. They're made to make connections for people to do business or maybe for leisure or vacation and for families to build memories. Maybe many of us are probably missing traveling already. You know, many of your travel plans for 2020 probably has, you know, has been canceled. Uh, you decided to postpone it maybe for 2021 or who knows, maybe 2022. Uh, but the point is the park planes that we see is not supposed to happen because, you know, they're supposed to fly. The park planes is a proof of a law at work on those planes. And it's the law of gravity. Now, we're familiar with gravity. What goes up must come down. But there's another law that supersedes the law of gravity so that no matter how heavy a plane is, it can lift off the ground and fly up, you know, as the high as 36,000 feet. And this law is known as the law of aerodynamics. The forces of lift and thrust can propel. Now, I'm not an engineer, okay? But, you know, it can actually help propel or lift a plane to overcome the force of gravity. That's the law of aerodynamics. A plane must be built so that lift and thrust are stronger than the pull of gravity and drag by just the right amount. Now, there are two words which Paul contrasts with one another throughout Romans 8, uh, they are the flesh or the sinful nature and the spirit. And these are two opposing forces that are at war with each other. You know, in all of life, there is a war between our two selves. You know, war before you met Christ, we were enslaved to sin. And this was described in chapter 6 and 7. You know, this is the battle that you cannot win. And we feel hopeless at this. But there is another war. After you meet Christ, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is found in chapter 8. This is the battle that you cannot lose. And this is, you know, actually very hopeful for us, those who believe. Now, when you are in Christ, you have a Spirit-filled life. Now, how does a Spirit-filled life look like? When the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we think, number one, we think with the Spirit. We set our minds on the things of the Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5, it says, But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. In fact, the Greek verb for set their minds on means to keep on giving serious consideration to something, to ponder to let one's mind dwell on it, you know, to fix our attention to that. There is a war of our thoughts. You know, my question for us today is, will you set your mind on the flesh or on the spirit? You know, let me ask you, what, what do you think about throughout the day? Do you dwell on negative thoughts like greed or anger, envy, lust, pride, addictions, maybe anxiety or maybe hopelessness? You know, Paul also wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think 
about such things. We are to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. You know, it's kind of like you know, entering the room and opening your air conditioner and you're setting the thermostat of the aircon to get the desired temperature level in that room. We get to set what we focus our mind on. My encouragement for us today is let us set our minds on the things of the Spirit. We let the Spirit of God, you know, somehow influence the way we think, that it will produce life and peace. We're able to understand the things of God only because of the Spirit of God. And the focus of your mind dictates the direction of your life. Have you ever wondered why sometimes you are confused and you don't know what you're doing? Because maybe what you're putting in your mind is not of the Spirit. You know, there's a language or a term in in computers, garbage in, garbage out. Whatever you put your mind into is normally the outcome of your life. You know, what you think about has a direct effect on how you walk in this life. That leads me to my second point. We walk in the Spirit. And the way we walk comes from the way we think. And if we want to change the way we walk, then we need to change the way we think. You know, we walk according to the power of the Holy Spirit, not according to our own power and will, not according to the flesh anymore. In verse 4, it says, In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, this is not a requirement, but a result, rather, when we are in Christ. We will walk in such a way that is honoring and glorifying to God because from here point, from this point on, you know, when you receive God's forgiveness, when you receive and put your faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross, then we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live righteous lives. You will now be mindful of your words and actions before you think, you, before you speak, you have to think twice. And the controlling power of the Holy Spirit is taking effect in your life and no longer the power of the Holy, the sinful nature that is having control. Now in these verses, we see a lot of contrasts. That of the flesh and that of the Spirit. Living this way or that way or thinking this way or thinking that way. This is not talking about a carnal Christian and a mature Christian. That's not the contrast. What this verse is referring to is a non-believer and a believer. Now that is the contrast. Those who are walking in the flesh are not carnal Christians, while those who are walking in the spirit are the mature believers. No, that's not the point. This is contrasting someone who is saved versus someone who is not yet saved. That's why in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, if you put to death the misdeeds of the body, then you will live. Remember, we talked about, you know, if you're in Adam and if you're in Christ, that's the contrast. And there's a contrast of the life lived in the flesh and the life lived by the Spirit. And in Amos chapter 3, verse 3, it talks about walk. Do you walk together? Do two walk together unless they agree to do so? We must be in tune with God if we are to walk with Him. There must be agreement and harmony. You know, reconciliation is necessary by giving our lives to Him, by surrendering our lives to Him. We're saying, you are my master, you are my Lord. I'm no longer the one sitting on the throne of my heart. Sit in on this throne and be in charge. 
then that's the only time that we can continue to walk with Him. We cannot walk with God if we are apart from Him. You know, from time to time, me and my wife, after dinner, would actually go around the village and walk together. We would talk. And, you know, that's, you know it's kind of like that picture. That as we walk with God, we talk to Him, we commune, we commune with Him. You know, walking with God speaks of intimacy. And when we walk according to the Spirit of God, we are you know, needing to listen to His leading. Which leads me to my third and final point. We are led by the Spirit of God. Follow the leading of the Spirit. We cannot be casual inquirers that we only ask God when we are in trouble. You know, now at times, you know, we are so deep in this pandemic and this crisis that we are crying out to the Lord. But in normal times, do we cry out to the Lord? Do we spend time with Him? Do we inquire of Him? You know, having God's thoughts or walking with God and being led by God is actually a daily thing. It's not just a, you know, in case of emergency, break glass, you know. Uh, we need to do that every single day. In verse 14, uh, the Amplified Version talks about, For all who are allowing themselves to be led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. My question for us today is, are you led by God? Are we being led by God? Because that is the proof. Being led by the Spirit of God is the hallmark of those who belong to Christ. You know, if you are in Christ, you have the Spirit of God in you. And when the Spirit lives in you, you become a child of God. The Spirit leads us to live righteously. The Spirit leads us to be generous. The Spirit leads us to be holy. He does not lead us to compromise, nor to become bitter, nor to have unforgiveness. To be led by the Spirit of God is to be sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Now, for example, if I may pause here, if today the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do something, listen to Him. Be still. Quiet yourself. Because God does not shout when He speaks to His children. He's normally, you know, uh, speaking to us in a still, small voice. He does not push. He leads us. The Spirit is gentle. He's sensitive. He enlightens and He persuades us to do what is right for us. Now, in these times of uncertainty, we need to be led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit Himself bears witness, in verse 16, with our spirit that we are children of God. We follow the witness of the Spirit of God. We allow the Holy Spirit to bear witness or to testify with our spirit you know, and you know, the, the verb used here means to provide confirming or supporting evidence by means of a testimony. Maybe the question of people is, how do I know that I am a child of God? How do I know I'm a son or a daughter of God? Simply because of what you've done by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus. It's not about what we did, by the way. It's about what Jesus did on the cross and what you have, how you responded to that. You took that by faith. And that's the essence of what this Christianity walk that we're talking about is, is evidenced by faith. You know, you are a child of God by faith. When we are in Christ, there is a change of status and identity. We used to be criminals, found guilty, deserving of judgment from God. But Jesus became our mediator. He was kind of like our lawyer. He took the punishment that we deserve. He deserve, we deserve to be condemned because of our sins. But because of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, He took our sins. 
He gave us His perfect record and we were justified. So when the righteous judge sees us, he declares, not guilty, you are justified. Justified, never sin, is your statement from here on. Then the judge did not stop there. He stands from his podium and he comes to us and he says, come home with me and become my child. That is the gospel. That is the good news. You know, the Apostle Paul went from being a wretched man to becoming an heir of God. Not because of what he did, but because of who he believed in. And he called on to, to rescue him. If you're writing down in your notes, any main point, my main point is this. In Christ, we can live a spirit-empowered life that pleases God. And I'd like to close with a quote from John Stott. It says, The Christian life is essentially life in the spirit. And that is to say, a life which is animated, sustained, directed, and enriched by the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, true Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, indeed impossible. We can only live our life in Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's bow our heads and uh, end in prayer. Thank you so much for those who are here today. You know, if you're a believer and maybe you're you know, struggling uh, with some things in your life, I want to pray for you right now. Lord, I thank you that you will help us, remind us to take our rightful place as children of God. We thank you that your promise uh, says that those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And I thank you, Lord God, that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for sparing us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for accepting us. Thank you for also believing in us. And I thank you, Lord God, even right now, that you would give us the mind of the Spirit, that we would align ourselves with your will. I thank you also that you will empower your children to walk daily in a walk that is pleasing to you. And I thank you also that you will help us as we hear your voice, help us to be led in what to do. Thank you, Lord God, that you'll also allow us to be able to be a blessing to others during this time of pandemic. Now, if you are here and you're joining us today and maybe you have not, uh, you know, you're not sure yet where you're, uh, if you're saved or not, but today the invitation is open. God's inviting us and uh, inviting you to receive uh, this free gift of eternal life. And it's done just by praying a simple prayer and by putting your faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. I'd like to lead you in a short prayer. Please follow along with me. Just say this, Lord, these words. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I am a sinner and I need you as my Savior. Thank you for going to the cross and sacrificing your life to pay the penalty for my sins. I confess that Jesus is Lord and I believe that he is raised from the dead. Therefore today, I know for certain that I am saved and I have been accepted. I am now a child of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, if you pray that prayer, congratulations. That is the most important prayer and decision that anyone could ever make in their own life. Now, we'd like to invite you right after the service to go ahead and join our connect rooms. And you'll see that under the screen. And we'd like to walk with you. The most important part of this journey is that you don't walk alone. You walk with a family. 
Now, for those of you also uh, regularly joining us, we have some discussion, discussion questions that we've prepared, and you can actually take note of them on the screen. We do hope that you will take the time to find application for the Word, not only for your life, but even for the family and for the group that you're actually meeting with every time. Well, I'd like to end uh, with uh, a short prayer of benediction, and I'd like to thank you also for joining us uh, in our services uh, today. Let me just pray for all of us. Father, thank you so much for our time today. And I thank you that indeed you have empowered your people, your children, uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that indeed there is now no condemnation for all of us who are in Christ. Thank you for the new life. Thank you for the blessing. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. And we thank you, Lord God, that indeed your blessing flows and your favor surrounds your people as with the shield. The Lord bless you and keep you. And the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn His face toward you and grant you peace. May the love of our Heavenly Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, thank you once again. That's the time we have for today. We do hope that you can also join us for our devotions every day, Monday to Saturday at 9 a.m. We'll see you all next week. God bless you all. Bye-bye. subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Feel free to share this message with your friends too. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.victoryalamang.church.